There is something that is a bit too sedentary about the church in, in the West. We need to get that dynamic sense of movement. And so we believe as a church, we should be planning to go out and, and plant churches all around and into London and to the nations. And to date, we've we have planted eight churches, which is quite extraordinary, really. Well, we have a vision to plant another 12 by 2020. And uh, a few weeks ago, some of you, if you were here, you will have heard Henry Cross, who was actually leading worship this morning, who is one of, he and his wife, Deborah, uh, part of our um, potential church planters team. And, and uh, he preached, did an outstanding job. We've got about seven or eight families who are seriously considering about uh, planting churches. Well, today is an opportunity to welcome another one of our, our potential church planters, uh, and I am delighted to welcome Nick Griffin to the stand. Would you please give him a big round of applause? Hi. Um, <clears throat> I'm just aware that having um, done the preach this morning. My elbow is really sore from holding the microphone at the same um, same sort of height, so I'll I'll use my other hand rather than my right hand. So, um, so yeah. So my name's Nick Griffin. I uh, for those of you who are into politics at all, you'll realise that the leader of the British National Party is also called Nick Griffin, and uh, so, so that has got me into quite a bit of trouble in my life so far without me doing anything at all. So. Uh, a newspaper in London uh, a couple of years ago wrote a very disparaging article about the leader of the British National Party and somehow they got my photograph off the internet and put it next to the article. So, um, so I had a really nice holiday that year on the money that the newspaper gave me, but it was a, not, not a particularly um, nice experience. So, um, just, uh, I've been a Christian since I became a Christian in my early 20s. I was part of a group of churches called New Frontiers who are very similar to, to the vineyard. And we got quickly involved with a guy called Steve Nicholson who is one of the kind of key leaders in the vineyard movement. And he was fantastic at getting hold of young, particularly young guys, I think, and just really sort of developing them and, and giving them opportunities to really develop in their ministry. And so I used to do quite a bit of prophetic stuff with him and so he used to haul me onto the stage and get me to kind of stand up here like this and sort of pick people out and prophesy over them. And you just hope that in some way that what you're saying would have a really good impact on, on their lives. Actually, it was really interesting as part of doing that. I ended up one day at, um, at John Mumford's house for Sunday lunch, which was a great treat. So, um, so and, and Carl Tuttle, who's a used to be kind of worship leader, he happened to be there. So it was a, a big treat. Um, my wife and I, sort of, uh, a little while ago, just decided that we didn't want to just grow old gracefully and that we were thinking about potentially doing some church planting. So we went and spoke to Steve Barber, who's um, heads up church planting in the vineyard, and said, look, um, you know, we're just thinking about the whole sort of thing about church planting. What do you think? What should we do? And we'd been involved in a couple of smaller kind of church plants in London. We live in London. And he said, look, you know, the best thing for you to do is just get stuck in at a really big kind of successful church and just see where kind of God takes you. So he said, look, St. Albans isn't far from you, so why, why not just get stuck in there and just see where, see where God takes you? So um, about a year ago, um, my wife and I and my two kids just started coming to St. Albans and Chris has been brilliant in terms of just encouraging us and, and helping us to, to kind of just see what the next step might be for us 
So I have this awful sort of um, this, uh, thing about, you know, uh, getting to the end of my life and, and looking back and thinking, I, I didn't do it kind of thing. So, so this is part of us exploring what the next step might be in our life. Part of that is we've moved house recently, so we've, um, we've moved to an area where we, where we think that God is calling us to and we've, we've somehow managed to keep our old house and so we get some rent from that and that's contributing to us potentially having the finances to be able to do some slightly more sort of unusual stuff for God so uh, so the the steps um, in the first service I spent much too much time on the on the sort of first bit of my talk so I'm, I, I've got loads of stuff crossed out in here so I'm going to get sort of as quickly as possible into the main bit of the talk and um, I'm, what I want to talk about this morning is probably the most important event in human history apart from the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the conversion of, of, um, of, of Paul or Saul as he was. And, um, and, and if it hadn't been for um, Paul getting converted, we'd be missing 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And Christianity's early kind of expansion would have been completely kind of curtailed without Paul so incredible kind of impact that he had on on um, the early church and Paul's a real hero of mine because obviously when he was converted he then was involved in planting personally involved in planting 20 churches and then obviously those 20 churches then were involved in terms of planting other churches and I imagine just as much the vineyard, you know, when I been becoming a Christian in New Frontiers, it was right from the start, inbred in me, how critical church planting was. And I know vineyard is a church planting movement. And I think, you know, church planting is the most amazing thing. And I think, you know, different expressions of God in, in an area are just fantastic. And I, and, I, and I think church planting is just, you know, the most exciting thing in the world really to do. So I think... Um, so, so, so that's one of the reasons. I want to start by giving a quick overview of Paul's life. So, I, so the, the, the guys here are brilliant at putting the right slide up at the right time, which is brilliant. So um, in, uh, in 2 AD, Paul was um, born, and he, although he was Jewish, he had the rights and privileges of a Roman citizen. And he was a pupil in a Pharisaic school um, between 12 and 15 AD, and then he became a Pharisee. Um, he decided, he f- for some reason, believed that actually by persecuting the Christians, he was doing what God wanted him to do. So it wasn't like he was just a horrible, nasty man. He was genuinely convinced that to persecute Christians and to, to, to do that was, was actually what God wanted him to do. And um, so he... he he was a Pharisee, and, and in uh, AD 32, he consents to and witnesses the stoning of Stephen, and then leads um, uh, Christian persecution on, on the back of that. In, in AD 33, he had the most dramatic conversion, and from that point on, his life was never the same. Um, and between th- AD 33 and 65, he went on five missionary journeys, he had led the kind of life that I know we all lead. I'm sure that you've all had uh, lashings, beatings, stonings, um, being cold and naked and all this kind of stuff. But he, he went through all of that. But in the midst of that, he planted 20 churches. And uh, he kicked off the church planting movement around the world. And in around AD 68, he was beheaded. 
And the element of this that I really want to focus on this morning is around the bit that around AD 33 in terms of his conversion and what happened to him. So please bear with me, and this is, I'm going to read through quite a long passage, but I think I wanted to, to do it all because I think it's important that we read it all, so please try and sort of stay with me as I kind of read through this passage. So Acts 9 verse, verses 1 to 22. So it goes, but, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, (coughs) excuse me, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And then it goes on. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased... Um, all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And then later on in Acts, it talks about how Paul, it says in 13, it says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, <coughs> Lucius of Cyrene, <coughs> Manian, <coughs> who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I had called them. So it's the most amazing passage and the most amazing thing happens to Paul. And I think what what this passage does is it gives us a model for the Christian life. And it's, it's a very kind of simple model about the Christian life. 
And the model is around, first of all, that everybody um, needs to kind of have an encounter with God. So they need to meet with God in some way. And Paul had a, an incredibly kind of powerful um, encounter with God. As a result of that encounter, he gave himself completely to God and his purposes. He was just, this, was, this wasn't like a, you know, something that happened on the road and then he just kind of got on with his life. This completely changed his life. It turned his life around. So he gave himself completely to God and his purposes. And then he literally then got on with the stuff. So he got on with going around and telling people about Jesus and planting churches. It was, a, it was the most, one of the most kind of dramatic turnarounds that, you'll, that, that, that you can imagine. And then he became so mature in terms of his ministry that the church at Antioch then set him apart for the thing that God had called him to. So I want to spend just a little bit of time just talking through each of those. And I think, you know, that, that nobody in here this morning can kind of switch off at this point because I think there's something in here for everyone. And, I, and, and as I go through, I, I think it will become, become clear. So the first point about um, encountering God so Paul wasn't particularly seeking God. It wasn't like he was going to Damascus because he was like thinking, I've, I've got to find God. He was just, he'd gone to get approval to go and um, capture Christians. So it wasn't like he was particularly kind of seeking God at that point. And suddenly on the road to Damascus, this light came and started speaking to him. And there was no doubt in Paul's mind that this was, this was Jesus. It was God. He, he immediately kind of responds to the light and says, Lord... You know, caught him, Lord, this wasn't just like a, any old kind of experience for, for, for Paul. He, <clears throat> he, had, um, he had the most incredible encounter with God. And I think that's the first step in terms of Christian life, having this encounter with God. And what I would say is that I don't think it means that all of us have to have this incredible, you know, light from heaven. And I'm not suggesting that if you're, if you're not, um, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today... I'm not suggesting that as you walk out of this building here today that you'll have this incredible light that comes and someone saying, you know, you know, come to me kind of thing. I think we all have different experiences in terms of our Christian life. I know for me, my experience of, of becoming a Christian was that I, I, I had a, a very privileged upbringing. My, 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 um, my dad was um, a, a, a director of Mirror Group newspapers. And, um, and we had, uh, we were always going to different events and we had, you know, we lived in Surrey and had all the, I was sent off to boarding school and all this kind of stuff. So I had lots, lots kind of going for me, but I, um, but, but there was something missing. It, life just didn't make sense to me. And when I, when I got to about 18, I became absolutely obsessed with finding out what life was all about. There was, it, was, it was almost as if I'd reached a point in my life and I just couldn't go any further until I dealt with this particular thing. And I was just absolutely obsessed. And I, and I, I feel really sorry for all my friends at that time because we'd go down the pub and literally all I would talk about is what's the point of life, you know, what happens when you die and all that kind of stuff. So they were used to me talking about other things apart from that. And so I must have absolutely bored them silly in terms of what I talked about. And amazingly at that time, the girl who I was going out with became a Christian. And I remember I was out on a holiday in Ibiza, which is where I spent all my holidays. And, um, and, uh, and, I, and I remember her phoning me and her voice was just like completely different. 
I, I knew something incredible had happened to her. And she'd become a Christian. She'd gone to church and had quite a dramatic, um, dramatic conversion. And that really sort of, apart, you know, on top of me asking all the questions, this had happened in my life in terms of my girlfriend becoming a Christian. So she basically said to me, you know, I've become a Christian. I don't want to go out with someone who's not Christian. If you don't come to church with me, that's it. We're over. And um, so I didn't have the best motives for going along to church. I wasn't used to going to church. My family weren't Christians or, or didn't go, weren't churchgoers or anything like that. So I, I went along to church and suddenly it all kind of made sense. And, and again, it wasn't like anyone had to explain loads of things to me or, or, or anything like that. And in a similar way with, with Paul, who, who had this experience and he just said, Lord, he knew that, that it was God. <clears throat> and for me, I turned up at this church and I knew that this was the thing that I was looking for. I knew that all that, those conversations in the pubs, all the talking that I had, this was the thing. This was what I was looking for. And there was something about these, the people at this church that really kind of, I knew it. I knew this was, this was it. So that was kind of my story. And whatever, whatever the story is for you, that the important thing is that God wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to meet with you. And he wants to meet with you in such a way that there's no doubt about it and you want to give yourself completely to him. Okay, so that's the first thing in terms of encountering God. That's the first thing that God wants. The second thing is about giving ourselves completely to him and his purposes. <clears throat> and as I say, Paul, for, for Paul, it was, you know, it, there was no doubt about it. In fact, Jesus said to him in the passage that I read out, rise and enter the city. And for Paul, it wasn't like, you know, he was this big Pharisee who was going around sort of, you know, um, uh, persecuting all these Christians. It was like he'd, he, he'd, he was so convinced that he did exactly what God told him to do. So it wasn't like he didn't need to do that. But God said, go, rise and enter the city. And he did it. There wasn't any doubt about it. He was going to, to do what God wanted him to do. <clears throat> and um, one, of the th one of the bits in the passage that I absolutely love, and as I've been studying this, I'm, you know, Chris asked me to, to preach, and so you, you spend you know, sort of uh, lots of time pouring over the passages and you get to know it really well. In fact, <clears throat> this passage, you almost get a bit kind of um, bored of it almost because you just looked at it so many times. But, um, but this bit was has really stuck with me in terms of um, when Paul regained his sight. I think, you know, when, if I'd been that, so he basically hadn't eaten or drunk for three days and he'd been blind as well. And, um, and he, he could have, he could have, I mean, I guess the first thing, if I'd regained my sight, I probably would have probably had a meal. I probably would have said to Sue, my wife, listen, I've had, I had a really kind of emotionally draining experience on the road to Damascus. I'm just going to put my feet up for a kind of little bit, watch a bit of telly, maybe have a beer, you know, and that kind of thing, and just recover from this kind of emotional experience and that. But Paul, it says in the, in the Bible, that what Paul did, the first thing he did when he when he uh, <coughs> when he regained his sight was he um, he, he he got baptized. So it's so it's really funny. So so he first thing he did was get baptized, and then it says in the passage he then went and had some food to eat. And I think you know what Chris was saying earlier about the baptisms coming up. I'd really encourage all of you if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized. 
be, you know, be baptized. It's the, it's the way that you outwardly show your kind of commitment to God. And for Paul, it was the, it was the natural thing. It was the natural next step. It was the thing that was going to launch him into his, his ministry that was ahead. So I'd really encourage you to do that. I, I was baptized about three weeks after I became a Christian. And my parents thought it was a bit weird that I didn't just have a few sort of bits of water splashed on my head that I had to be fully submersed in water and then come out and all this kind of stuff. But it was a really important event for me in terms of saying to God, God, everything I have is yours. You know, I give myself completely to you. <clears throat> so, so that was really important. So, so, um, so first of all, obviously we, we're, talking the, we're talking about encountering God. Then we're saying give, giving ourselves completely to him. Then the third thing that I wanted to talk about is Paul then kind of got on with the stuff. And um, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it talks about going and making disciples. So we go out and we, we talk to people about Jesus. We pray for the sick. We you know, do all, all the things that kind of God wants us to do. And for Paul, it was just like literally he was baptized. And then he got on with the stuff and he went out and he... He talked in the synagogues and talked to people about Jesus. He got on with uh, planting the churches. I mean, 20 churches he was involved in planting. And then, you know, that went on and, and, and a lot of other churches got, <clears throat> got um, planted as a result. So for Paul, there was no doubt about it. He'd met God, he was baptized, and then he just got on with the stuff. And I, I'd really encourage, you know, again, you know, if you're a Christian, just to, to, to get on with the stuff. And I... You know, I know one of the things, first things I was really keen to do when I started coming here was just to get on the, on the rotor for praying for people. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but I just love praying for people. And I think the more, the more grown up I get in terms of praying for people, the more natural it will be when I'm with my friends and when I'm with other people in terms of praying for them. I want to become really grown up and mature in terms of praying for people. You know, I want, to, I want to get really used to it. So I'd really encourage people. I, don't, I think everyone should be on the, on the, um, on the prayer team because it's just a brilliant way of, <laughs> of, um, of learning about that kind of thing. Um, I wrestle with the whole thing of what it looks like in my normal life, sort of getting on with the stuff. I didn't, one story I didn't say in the thing earlier in the service earlier I mean I, I do kind of management consultancy so I'm I'm working at the moment working with a bank um, that uh, is um, <clears throat> was based uh, was founded kind of north of the border so you might recognize which bank that might be been through a few problems recently um, and um, so part of my role is to go in and help them get themselves sorted out and I, I was working with this guy and I've been commuting to South End for the last while and I was working with this guy who was responsible for this centre where I was working and we were doing a bit of work with him. And, I, and, and part of the, the work, we needed to visit other sites. And so we needed to go up to Manchester and Edinburgh. And so I got to spend a load of time with him. And um, we flew up to Edinburgh and, uh, and we did our work during the day and then we had the evening together. And uh, this bank has this um, business school up in Edinburgh and... Um, and uh, the, the, it, well, after you've had your meal in the evening, the bar opens and the, you have free drinks for the rest of the evening. You can drink as much as you want and it's all free and stuff. <clears throat> so we ended up having a couple of drinks together. And then I said, look, we're in Edinburgh. Why don't we go to the Edinburgh, to the Fringe Festival, to the comedy thing? 
And because um, I wanted to experience, I don't know about you, but there's you know certain things that I really would like to experience in my life, and going to the Edinburgh so, f- f- uh, festival is one of those things that I'd really love to do. So we went, and we had just had a really good, funny evening. Went to the comedy and all this kind of stuff. It was just me and him. <clears throat> and then we were having a drink afterwards, and I, and it, he just said to me, he said, um, he said, you're you you go to church, don't you? And I, I thought, how, the, how on earth does he know that I go to church? I, I haven't got a clue. I don't, didn't remember kind of telling him. And <clears throat> we then had this really long conversation about, about my faith. And he talked about how his dad had left home when he was really young and, and had ended up in prison <clears throat> and all this kind of thing. And we just had this really sort of long conversation. He asked me a few questions about my faith and that kind of thing. And, and, and those are just the kind of situations that I just want to happen more and more in my life. And, you know, in terms of getting on and doing the stuff in my normal life, I just want more and more of that kind of thing to happen. And, and we had a, we've got some um, German friends called Rob and Ulrika, and Rob's uh, produces films, documentaries, and that kind of thing. And, um, and we spend lots of time with them, have lots of meals and all this kind of stuff. Um, and Ulrika hurt her knee. And uh, we were just out of the park, and I just said, look, can I pray for your knee? And, um, and I just put my hand on her shoulder and just prayed a really simple prayer. And then the next time I saw her, I said, Ulrika, how's your knee? <laughs> kind of thing. It did feel a little bit weird doing it, I must admit. And <clears throat> um, I was kind of confident enough that they, we knew them well enough that they didn't think we were absolutely off our whatever. So... Um, and actually, when I, when I saw her the next time, she saw my knee, I went to the doctor and he said it was completely better. So, and it was a really bad thing that she'd had done. It was in a skiing, she'd been skiing in the January and it was really bad. She just said, oh, my knee's completely better. So that was f- absolutely fantastic. So, so, so those are just a couple of examples of the kind of things that I'm trying to do to kind of do the stuff, if you like, in my normal life. We, we've just moved house and we... Um, <coughs> We, our oven, just before we were about to move house, our oven bust, and it was really annoying. I thought, you know, what are we going to do? I didn't want to call out a guy because it was just we were just about to move, and it was just a big hassle. And I just thought, God, please, you know, you know, do something about our oven. So I prayed for it, and the kids, unfortunately, the kids caught me praying for the oven, <laughs> and um, and and they already think I'm a bit mad, but um, but this kind of confirmed their worst kind of fears about me. And um, and and the next worst thing was they not only um, caught me praying, they also decided to tell all our friends that Daddy prays for ovens. <laughs> so so um, I mean the fantastic thing was that actually as soon as I prayed for it, it actually started working. <laughs> So, so we've now got this reputation amongst our friends of being the people who've got some kind of direct line to God. And if you want your ovens prayed for, your heavers or whatever, then uh, Nick and Sue are the people that you need to come to kind of thing. So, um, so, so that's you know, part of getting on um, with the stuff. I think for, for me, the other thing about getting on with the stuff is around, um, is around what we're doing, Sue and I are doing in t- terms of church planting. You know, we just really want to find out whether or not God wants us to do some church planting. And I, I love London with a passion. And I, and I really love um, the, the whole sort of idea of church planting. And so I think it'd be fantastic if we could be involved in terms of, you know, church planting in London. I mean, I, I, I'm amazed that there aren't more vineyard churches in London. It seems just mad. 
And, um, you know, and it's such an, you know, it'd be fantastic to get more churches planted in London. And I know I was really encouraged when Chris sort of was saying that one of the part of the vision for the church planting is to get, you know, churches established in London. And I think that is the most fantastic thing. And I think it would be brilliant to get, to get more churches established in London. So, um, so, so, and I, I would encourage, so those who aren't getting on with the stuff, I'd really encourage you to get on with the stuff, you know, sign up to the praying rotor, you know, pray for your friends, talk to them about Jesus and all that. Pray for those conversations, for the guys and the, the, the ladies who are involved in business. You know, pray for those conversations. I know when I used to have a, a, an office in my old job, I'd sit there and I'd pray in my office, like, God, please fill this office with your spirit. Anyone who comes in here, God, please you know, sort of, um, you know, touch them. Um, so, so I'd really encourage you to, um, to, to get on with the stuff. And for those who really are getting on with the stuff and are really growing up in that and, and, and are getting m- mature at, at doing those kind of things, like praying for people and that kind of thing, I just really wanted to encourage you this morning as well and just encourage you and say, you know, keep at it kind of thing. Keep going. I want to pray that God kind of breathes life into your ministry. I, I pray that God will bless you in terms of what you're doing, that he'll make your ministry like really fruitful and that kind of thing. And, and you know, for Paul, he got on with the stuff, but then there was a point at which the church recognized that and he was set apart for the things that God called him to. And I just pray that there are people here who are, as you're faithful in your ministry and as you mature and you develop in it, that there comes a point when you're like set apart for that thing and you're recognized as that, you know, as, as being really mature and really developed in, in that ministry. So really sort of in, encourage you. So, so in, in sort of drawing things t- to a close, I, wa- I wanted to say that, um, you know, f- for those of you who aren't Christians here today, you know, God wants to, 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 for you to have an encounter with him. He wants, he wants to meet with you. He wants to, for you to become so convinced about the Christian faith and about him that, that you give absolutely everything to him. That there's no doubt about it in the same way. It may happen in a different way from Paul. But, but, but what he wants is for you to be convinced like him and to just, just do it, you know, so... Um, give everything to God. So I pray that I pray that that happens with you. And and the Bible says, if you seek God with all your heart, you'll find Him. So I encourage you to 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 do that. Um, for those of you who are Christians, just encourage you to kind of get on with the stuff. You know, both here at church and also in your life outside of uh, outside of church. You know, just pray, you know praying for people, talking to people about. Jesus, that kind of thing. And obviously for those who are more mature and who are, who are pressing on and that kind of thing, just pray that God will like bless your ministries and that kind of thing. So I'd really like to pray for you if possible. So if people could just stand and then I'd, I'd really like to pray for you. Father God, I want to thank you so much for the Bible. I want to thank you for the stories that we read in it. I want to thank you for the amazing encouragement that those stories are. I want to thank you for the way you met with Paul. I want to thank you that you spoke to him and, and his life was turned around. It was never the same again. And I pray that for each of anyone here who 
hasn't had that encounter with you, God, I pray that they, you'd speak to them, God. I, sp- I pray that you'd, there'd be no doubt in their hearts that you are the way, that you're God, and that, that you, you want everything from them, Lord God. I pray for that, Lord God. And Father, I pray for, for those, for, for, for where we need to get on with the stuff. I pray for <clears throat> amazing, even more amazing stories of when people are prayed for here at church. And I pray as well for those stories from outside where, where we pray for our friends and, and they get healed of things, where we talk to our friends over the dinner table and, <coughs> and that kind of thing and people get converted. God, I pray for fruit in this church where the, the nice after-dinner conversations um, turn into people kind of becoming Christians and that kind of thing. I pray for that. And I pray for your encouragement for people as well here today. I pray where people have been faithful in their ministries and they've, they've been really faithful over a, a, a long time, Lord God. I pray that you'd inspire them and that you'd encourage them and you'd bless them, God. And I pray, God, that as they, as they go on with those things, I pray that you'd, you'd bring them to a point where it's almost like kind of recognised. They're, they're recognised in terms of, of being you know, particularly kind of gifted in that way. God, I pray for those things in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Amen.